Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 27, we're going to tackle the whole chapter tonight, the stolen blessing. Now, if I was going to ask you as a student of Scripture to give me a theme verse, verse for the book of Genesis, I think that many of you would quote Genesis 1.1. You would say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, Genesis means beginnings. So when you study the book of Genesis, that's what it means. Genesis means beginnings or origin. But ultimately, the book of Genesis is a book about God. God is the beginner. So you could say the book of Genesis is about the beginner. It's about the one who made everything. It's about the one who started all of this. It's about the one who made us in his image. It's about the one who made marriage. It's the one about who made government. It's the one who created the church. He's the one that the book of Genesis is all about. And this particular section is another section that comes up about the sovereignty of God. It's a wonderful blessing that Pastor Chris picked that song because that is really the overarching theme of Genesis 27 is the sovereignty of God. When I talk about the sovereignty of God, I'm talking about that ultimately God is in charge. What God wants to get done, he will get done. Now within the framework of God's sovereignty, he certainly has chosen to give us free will. And theologians and people who study the Bible, you know, always wonder how far our free will stretches until finally the rubber band snaps back. (laughs) You know, John Corson used that illustration one time. He said, look, you have free will, but your free will can sometimes only go so far. You might ask Jonah about that, right, when you get to heaven. He ran from God, but his free will went only so far. And Corson used the illustration of a rubber band And if you're fighting God and you're pulling away from God's will, he'll let you go so far and the rubber band will tighten and tighten and tighten until, snap! You get snapped back into God's reality. That's what Genesis 27 is about. I want to suggest a second uh, theme verse for the book of Genesis. This is for your consideration. Just came to me as Pastor Chris was singing the song. So let's look at it together. It's Genesis 50. It's the last chapter of the book of Genesis. As an introduction, take a peek with me. Genesis 50, for your consideration, at least maybe a supplementary theme verse of the book about the beginnings or the book about God, the beginner. Look at Genesis 50. Let's just go back to verse 18. This is about Joseph and his brothers. Then his brothers also came, Genesis 50, verse 18, and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. For am I in God's place? And as for you, Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. The book of Genesis ends with a, what's been called the Old Testament equivalent to Romans 8, 28. God works how many? All things together for good to those who love God and those who are what? Called according to his purpose. And many people have suggested that you have to take 828 with 829, that one of the things that God's doing from 828 to 829 in Romans is he's conforming us into the image of his son. That's the ultimate good he wants to do for us. So not everything that happens to us is good, but God has a way, here's the Greek word there, to synergistically... Sunergeo, uh, when you see all things work together, the Greek word is sunergeo, where we get the English word synergism. 
God synergistically works all things together for good. He can take the broken pieces of our lives, the difficult situations, the tough spots, the head scratchers, the things that hurt our hearts, and still weave a tapestry, go back to Genesis 27, of good. That's how good God is. That's how majestic he is in his uh, sovereign ways. Now, this particular story is a story of intrigue, It's a story of manipulation. It's a story of deceit. And this is the messianic line. So everybody should be of good cheer. What I mean by that is that this is the line from which the Messiah comes, and it's a bunch of messed up people. And so we're going to totally be able to relate to Genesis 27. And the reason we'll be able to relate to Genesis 27 is because we're going to find ourselves in one of these characters, or maybe in all of them. And all God's people said, Ouch. (laughs) Now it came about, Genesis 27, 1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see, that he called, hold on, my computer went off, (laughs) that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son, and he said to him, here I am. Now it came about, this is uh, the beginning of a chapter in the book of Genesis. It came about, when you see something like that, it's kind of like in the course of time, it came about. So we, we know something about Isaac. At this point, we know he's old. And what we know about this particular patriarch, you know, whenever you think about the founding of the Jewish nation, everybody talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham's talked about a huge amount in the book of Genesis. We have uh, a ton of stuff about Jacob. We'll get a ton about Joseph. I think about 12 chapters on average each, give or take. But we only have a few chapters about Isaac, and Isaac was called the son of promise, and he lived the longest of all the patriarchs. So it wasn't because of his short life. Why is it that so little is written about this particular patriarch, Isaac? His name means laughter. He's the son of promise. He's taken up on Mount Moriah. They act out the gospel. What's up with Isaac? And some people have suggested that the reason that there's so little written about him is because he didn't do a whole lot. And I just want you to think about that for a second. There's a lot of people that appear to be people with promise. He's called the son of what? Promise. But they don't do a whole lot. And that should challenge all of us. You could have all the spiritual gifts. You could have all the, you know, they talk about athletes, athletes that have all this kind of promise and they have all this ability. But if it never comes out on the field, then it's kind of a waste. Now, that's a suggestion. That's conjecture. We don't know for sure. We know Isaac did some good things. In the last chapter, he certainly persevered. He kept digging the wells when the the people of the land kept stopping him up. He persevered. He certainly was a man that wanted to follow God. But Isaac had some problems. And one of the biggest things you're going to see in chapter 27 is Isaac fought the will of God. He favored one child over the other, and God had already told him that the older would serve the younger, but Isaac didn't want to get on board with God's will. And if you fight God's will, you're going to be in trouble. At some point, we all need to say, Lord, I surrender, even when I don't get it, even when it doesn't make sense to me, um, I surrender. Well, what we know in, in verse one is Isaac's old, and he calls his son Esau to him. Esau was the firstborn of the twins. Uh, His name means red. We know he was a hairy dude. We know he was an outdoorsman. We know he enjoyed the hunt. 
And we know that dad favored him. And so there was a relationship between this father and son. Some Bible scholars have said that they've made the suggestion at least that when you see that Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that it is certainly a physical reality. He has dimness of sight, but there's a spiritual principle beneath the reality of the physical. This is just in his case that he had problems seeing things spiritually. In other words, the suggestion's been made that his spiritual eyes were dim. How does one end up with a spiritual dimness? How do you end up not being able to see well? How do you end up a person with very little spiritual discernment, very little spiritual light? I tell you how you end up there. You don't open your eyes to the things of the Spirit. You don't take in the things of the Spirit. You don't put on your spiritual glasses. You don't end up, end up with spiritual 2020. So when other people are seeing things and the Lord's speaking into their life and showing them things from the Word of God and you're not reading the Word and you're not praying and you're not involved in worship, it's not hard to figure out why some people are very, very dim, spiritually speaking. In fact, in Isaiah 6.10, when God called Isaiah, he said, render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. And so there was a dimness, uh, at least a suggestion of a spiritual dimness in his eyes. And Jesus said, you know, if your eye causes you to stumble, what should you do? Pluck it out. He said, first take the log out of your eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So there's a spiritual idea here about sight. And Isaac said, behold, verse 2, now I'm old and I do not know the day of my death. Well, join the party, Isaac. <laughs> I mean, nobody knows the day of their death, but, but Isaac is old at this point, so he's thinking, you know what, I, I need to make sure I get my affair, affairs in order. Chuck Swindoll was talking about worldviews and how people talk a lot about worldviews and how your worldview helps you navigate life. And Swindoll said this, he goes, look, the question isn't whether you can live with your worldview. The question is whether you can die with it. The question is whether your worldview can take you to the next life in good standing with God, amen? Because we don't know the day of our death. James says that. We don't know if we even have tomorrow. Now, Martin Luther calculated Isaac's age at this point, and he concluded, based upon his calculations, that Isaac is 137 years old at this point. That's old, but we know that age is kind of reduced as time went on, and people lived uh, longer lives than we do today. The average lifespan is probably about mid-80s these days. And uh, Luther calculated his age at 137, but we know this, that Isaac lived to 180. So for you mathematicians, he lived 43 more years. 43. And look, he had a moment where he thought he was dying, but he wasn't. Now, when I was little, I used to be a hypo, what do you call it, hypochondriac? And I, and I would say to my sister, we, we were in the same room when we were growing up, and I'd say, Michelle, do you ever get a pain right here? And she'd say, yes, yes, Michael, I, sometimes I get, Michelle, do you ever get a pain right here? She said, yes, Michael, sometimes I get a pain right here. Michelle, I was younger. Do you ever get a pain right here? She would say, yes, go to sleep. So when I was about 10 years old, I was riding my bike down our street, no helmet on back in the day. They didn't worry much about those kinds of things. 
Your parents just basically said, go play now. <laughs> so I was riding down, down my street and I got hit by a Volkswagen fastback. My sister said I did a triple flip with a half twist. I got a 10 from the Russian judge. It was awesome. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> and I uh, hit the windshield of the car and rolled off and I was planted on the cement. And I had a huge bubble in my head and it explains a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> but anyway, they, so I remember coming to, and, and I, I looked like this, and there was a whole circle around me. Everybody was looking back at me, and I looked at them, and they were looking at me. And they put me in the ambulance, and I kept saying to the ambulance driver, am I going to die? Am I going to die? Am I going to die? My sister was riding with me. Am I going to die? Kept saying it over and over again. And finally said, if you don't shut up, you are going to die. I didn't ask anymore. <laughs> well, all that to say, <laughs> Isaac thought he was about to die, but he wasn't. But he still called his son and he wanted to give this blessing. He said, behold, I'm old. I don't know the day of my death. And of course, he couldn't have known that he was going to live 43 more years. And so he says, now then, verse 3, please take your gear, your, gear, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Nah, maybe this is the motivation. Son, I think I'm going to die. Could you make me? This is something you can use, parents. When you get older, I don't know when I'm going to die. Could you make me a steak? Could you take out the trash? I could die on the way to the... I'm sorry. Don't use that. That's, that's deceptive. Now look back. Peek back in Genesis 25:32. You're going to need real discernment tonight on what to hold on to. But anyway, Genesis 25:32 says, Esau said, 25:32, behold, what? I'm about to die. So what use is that birthright to me? You know, we, we often say, like father, like son. Well, this is dad. Dad said it. And Esau said it, and Esau said it to the point where he gave away what? His birthright for a pot of stew or a little bowl of stew. What good is that to me? I don't know if some of you can relate to this, but I had some party days before I came to Christ, and one of my excuses for continuing to party was, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's probably all going to blow up anyway, so... Let's just party. That was my excuse. Right? Everybody's messed up and we might as well just join them. <laughs> well, that doesn't work really well. So he says, hey, go hunt because I'm going to die and, and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love. This does seem to be back in 27.4 all about Dad. And bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, I think this is certainly sincere. I think Isaac does want to bless his son, but unfortunately, he wants to give the blessing to the wrong child. What is he doing? You say, well, does he know, Pastor Michael? Yeah, he knows a prophecy has already been given in an earlier chapter when the twins are in the womb, and Rebecca's wondering what in the world's going on. It feels like there's a boxing match inside my stomach. And she, she inquires of the Lord, and the Lord says, there's two nations in, in there, and they're battling, and the older shall what? Serve the younger. 
The prophecy was already given. Much time has gone by. The boys have grown up. Dad already knows that the one who is going to be in the blessed position is Jacob. But he has a favorite, and his favorite is Esau. You might say, well, why does he have this favorite? Why, what's going on with dad and Esau? Well, chapter 25, verse 28, just take a peek back. Here's why he favored him. 25, 28 says, Isaac loved Esau because, 25, 28, he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. No more commentary on why she leaned towards him. But we know why dad leaned towards Esau. They related better. And Esau went out and hunted, and he, and he made good food. He was a good cook, and dad liked that. And so many, many people who, you know, if you read commentaries on Genesis, they're going to they're gonna say, well, this is really materialistic of Isaac. This is really about the flesh. This is about, yeah, he, he wanted to bless the son of his that he, he, maybe he liked more or he, he got along with better or whatever the case may be. But Hebrews 12, 16 warns us that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Dad already knew what he had done. Dad knew that he had sold the birthright to Jacob. Dad knew that Esau's priorities were wrong. He knew that Esau was a carnal man, and yet he still wanted to force this blessing and put him in the number one position again. And the sad thing is that Esau had already given that away. And so Isaac was basically materialistic, at least in this sense he was. He wanted to bless Esau, and he was opposing the will of God. It's like he saw the reality, but he also refused to see it. Not only did he see Esau's nature, but this oldest son had pained he and his wife. If you look at the end of the uh, last chapter, look at 26:34, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Besmith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they brought grief to who? Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac knew what this boy was about. He knew he was a man of the flesh. He knew that he wasn't supposed to marry Hittite women who were basically Canaanite women, but he did. He was a carnal, immoral man. That's what Hebrews 12, 16 says. He was a godless man. And Isaac knew that because moms and dads have a, have a pretty good sense of where their kids are. And Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, you're still carnal, you're fleshly. The word carnal means worldly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3. Are you not walking like mere men? And so Isaac is forcing this and God is going to be sovereign over it. And here's how this works out. 27.5, Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I've heard your father speak to your brother Esau. So she was listening, but she wasn't the only one listening. God was listening. And the reason she overheard the conversation is that tent walls are very thin. Amen? <laughs> but here's another thing. When you were going to give a formal blessing as a patriarch of the family, whether you were a father or a grandfather, custom said that you would bring the whole family in whether it's children, grandchildren, the wives, everybody would come in and you would do a formal blessing. And the word to bless is barak in Hebrew. And it means literally the hand that covers it. It implies kneeling. It implies 
giving a, a blessing to someone, the best you can give to them. But by way of what scripture teaches, the only way you can invoke a blessing that's gonna have really any good to it is if you invoke who? God. God is the one from whom all blessings flow. And so what Isaac was doing was trying to give a secret blessing. He was supposed to do this with a big uh, celebration, a big meal with all the family, all the kids, all the grandchildren, but he tried to secretly do it. He called Esau in secretly. Why? Because he knew he was up to no good. And this, this household, you're gonna see, nobody trusts anybody in this household. This is the definition of dysfunction in the tent. In fact, they made a movie out of this house. It's called Dysfunction in the Tent. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't. But we could, right? Because everybody's hiding the stuff from everybody. Hey, your dad just called your brother in. Hey. She overheard the conversation. You ever overhear a conversation? I just happened to overhear. <laughs> well, God's going to use that too. And she says, well, here's what he said, verse seven. He said, bring me some game and prepare a savory. That means a delicious or tasty dish for me that I may eat and bless you. And this blessing was the formal blessing, you know, uh, reserved, you could say, for the firstborn, but often God even upended that. In the presence of the Lord before my death, this is what he said. He said, look, I want to invoke the blessing of God. Now, Rebecca springs into action. She's speaking to Jacob the younger of the two, and she says, therefore, my son, listen to me as I, what? Command you. Now, mom is involved. Look out when mom starts giving commands, right? You know, people, they think about this chapter and they say, Jacob, yeah, that's right. His name means conniver. He manipulated the situation, but hold on a minute. Rebecca was pretty involved. In fact, she's starting to give out commands, She's saying, hey, this is what we're going to do right now. Now, listen up, boy. Go now to the flock. Bring me two choice kids from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Everybody knows what this guy loves. They know the way to his heart, right? Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, and behold, he said, Esau, verse 11, my brother is a hairy man, <laughs> and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I shall be a, as a deceiver in his sight, and I shall bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. Now mom reassures him, and Jacob seems to be taking the high moral ground until you realize this is not his high moral character that's going on here, just so you know. That's not what this is about. Jacob is just concerned that he's going to be found out and get a curse instead of a blessing. He's already proven that he's willing to go to great lengths to get birthrights and blessings, right? He's already manipulated his brother when he was hungry and said, uh, first, uh, give me the birthright, then you get the stew, right? He's not this high moral character. He's just afraid of what's going to happen if dad finds out the plot. And it's mostly because he knows they're so different. He's smooth, the brother's hairy. Dad's going to know, even though his eyesight's not that great. And Rebecca says, then the curse be on me. And so he went out, verse 14, and he got them, and he brought them to his mother. His mother made a savory, savory food, such as his father loved. And Rebecca took the best garments of Esau. She went into the closet, man, found the Sabbath suit uh, of Esau, her elder son, which were uh, with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. She put the skins of the kids, I'm assuming the ones that were part of the meal on his hands 
and on the smooth part of his neck. And she also gave the savory fruit and the bread which she had made to her son Jacob. Now mom is busy, man. She found a costume for him, put it together. She made the meal. She said, let's come in here. We'll dress you up. We'll spritz a little uh, hunter's cologne on you, right? It's all happening right now. And so uh, Jacob is ready now. He's got the, the food. He's going to act like he's his brother Esau. And, you know, many writers have said the whole family acted shamefully here. So there's, there's really no good characters in it. But ultimately, remember, God is sovereign over the tent. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I'm sitting here with Oscar Santa Cruz, producer of Living Truth Radio. Oscar, at the end of chapter 26 of Genesis, Esau uh, is 40 and he marries a Hittite woman, uh, actually two, what, what appears to be two Hittite ladies, uh, Judith and Base, Base Math. And uh, he, he marries outside of Israel, but he also marries outside the faith. And I think that's really what's important here. And then this leads us into this chapter about, you know, Jacob conniving and stealing away now the blessing. Mm -hmm. But there's something to Esau by this action at the end of 26 that leads into chapter 27, where he he decides to do something that's really uh, unwise, to say the least. What, what would you say about his actions here? Well, it, here we have... Um I guess, would you say a rebellious son at 40 years old, yep. that he goes ahead and marries a couple of women that are outside that he probably understood and knew and realized that they were women of a culture or type that were contrary to what they were told as well as what would bring not necessarily heartache, but let's say displeasure towards, their, towards his parents. Well, then the very next verse, Oscar says that it brought grief to Isaac and Rebecca. And that's the end of chapter 26. And so they were grieved by his actions. I would assume then that that means that they probably tried to talk some sense into him because you would mm. think that in in marrying these two ladies, there had to be some sort of ceremony, some sort of dowry, something that took place between the households. And yet mom and dad were grieved. And, you know, uh, Sometimes uh, parents and good friends may not agree with our choices in terms of someone that we're getting serious with, but but here it was really, there was reason to be grieved because these women who are really coming from Canaanite uh, culture would be worshiping other gods, would lead uh, Esau into you know potential idolatry and displeasure to God. And the bottom line, Oscar, of a lead into chapter 27 is I, I don't know that Esau cared. And was it chapter 25? What did he do with his birthright? He really didn't care about it. Yeah. So it, I guess the living under the parents household, he didn't care what they may have said. And even back then he just, I'm going to do my own thing. You parents, you don't understand. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.